Ricky Beer was just the nicest man that you could wish to meet. I and mean, he's just amazed that people still remember that goal that he scored. He said, like, why don't they just remember this one goal? And it's like, why wouldn't they, Ricky, you know? One third week of daily podcast as we continue to fill football's coronavirus enforced break with Monday to Friday Spurs season reviews. Hopefully, you and much appreciated listeners have enjoyed this journey, which has seen us travel from 2020 back to 2011 so far. All our latest work is available on the usual podcast providers, as is our work for COVID 19 consigned people of the UK to their homes and this podcast to Skype. The Soul Campbell special entitled Soul Campbell Can He Ever Be Forgiven is particularly my favourite, so try and have a look at that. Simeon Wright, Peter Wright and myself Ian Wallace are here as ever and the three of us are joined today by a very special YE1 debutant. Yes we're delighted to welcome onto the podcast Spurs supporting journalist and award-winning author of several outstanding Tottenham Hotspur themed books Martin Cloak. Martin great to speak to you how are you in this lockdown period? Uh, okay, I think virus free and not gone completely around the twist yet. So I think that's winning, isn't it? Uh, well, I think pretty much you are winning if, if you're virus free and uh, not going crazy. So great to have you on here. I'm currently your chief sub editor for customer publishing agency and content marketing agency Sunday, whose partners include the Institute of Chartered Accountants of England and Wales, P&O Cruises, Accardo, John Lewis and Partners, and Morrison. So given what you're working on currently, uh, Martin, how how is COVID nineteen affecting your work i think we're waiting to find out some of our staff have been furloughed at the moment we still have a certain amount of work to do i mean the contract that i work on is mainly the, the institute of chartered accountants of england and wales and interestingly their website crashed under the weight of inquiries it was the second most read website after the government's last week when they put information up about how small business could access help from the various government schemes that are being put together so at the oh, moment, wow. there's still a fair amount of stuff going around because of kind of accountancy and kind of financiers are you know are fairly key in terms of looking at how we come out of all this so there's still work that's going on but look, i think like everybody everyone's a bit nervous about what the future holds for their business really so we're all working from home we're all trying to keep in touch or dealing with multiple platforms like you know Skype for Business and Zoom and Teams and Slack and you name it, we're, we're communicating on it. So different to most people, I'd imagine. Okay, and you've, you've got a background in a lot of magazine journalism and you've worked on a lot of titles including Time Out, Take a Break, What's on TV, Local Government Chronicle and also Heat as well. That must have been a great period working at Heat. That was interesting. Yeah, I worked for the first year of the magazine. So, yeah, it was. I mean, I, I've, yeah, I kind of got into journalism uh, when I left college in the late 80s, early 90s. So I kind of worked through the heyday of the kind of magazine boom when everybody working in magazines thought that we were brilliant and the most essential thing in the world. And, yeah, it's been mainly consumer journalism. So I, did, I worked on Take a Break in the days when it sold 2 million copies a week. It was a genuine grassroots phenomenon. And that was quite interesting. I worked on quite a few TV listings and entertainment magazines. And I did a lot of stuff in the trade press, but I guess more in recent years, I've gone into what's now called content marketing, which is kind of, it straddles the line a little bit between what people understand as journalism and what people understand as PR and marketing. So, but I think okay. that people communicate is the job. Just quickly, before we sort of go on to our beloved Spurs, during this COVID-19 period, you just tell me you're currently reading up on brands, how they behave. You can sort of just tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds a bit cold, really, but I think that there's a lot of, I mean, we'll, we'll probably say in the course of this podcast as well, somebody, probably me, will apologise for talking about football when there, there's more important things. And you know, the only important things at the moment are people not spreading the virus and supporting the, the NHS, supporting the health workers and supporting the delivery people that are keeping food in the shops. They're the only things that are really important. But we'll come out the other side of this. We don't know how. We don't know how many of us, but we will come out the other side of it. So that there needs to be some thought given to what the shape of the world is. When we do come out the other side, there's a great blog by a guy called Richard Ayres on, a, on the Seven League website, Seven League, a kind of sports marketing agency. And he was saying that, you know, pretty much the same thing, that, that everyone's apologising for talking about the things that are unimportant now. But the things that are unimportant now will be important in the future. And I think you've seen it now with the reaction to, and then this gets a little bit close to home with football as well, but the reaction to things that various brands and various businesses have done at the moment is going to affect their standing and is going to affect them economically when things get back to what passes for normal after all this as well. So, And it's partly that I've kind of written about this stuff as a journalist for years and, I, you know, it's the... The business that I work in of content marketing and dealing with how brands project themselves. So I'm interested in it from a professional point of view. But I just think, you know, it's interesting from a human being point of view as well is that, you know, how is everything going to come back together again? So I yeah. guess that was behind that apparently cold sounding bit of analysis, really. But, you know, no, you- I agree. Yeah, Martin, do you reckon people are going to still want to go and watch the football when this is all over? Are they still going to want to go to the stadium? Look, I think that's a really good question. I mean, I think a lot of us are missing it, and I think we're doing things like this. I mean, I saw, you know, what you were doing uh, on Twitter. I think we were first in touch a couple of weeks ago, weren't we? And I think there's there's a lot of nostalgia for things that have happened before. TV's been showing, you know, old games. They showed that the great Brazil-Italy game from the 82 World Cup, didn't they, over the oh, yeah. weekend as well? yeah. People are kind of filling their time and they're remembering the good times, remembering the things that they enjoyed. But what our reaction is going to be to it afterwards, I don't know. Everyone's been quoting, I think it was, uh, everyone says it was Jurgen Klopp because he referred to it last, but I was doing a bit of research last week. It's actually Pope John Paul II who said football is the most important of the unimportant things. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Brilliant. (laughs) Love that. So that'll, that'll be the first Pope John Paul II quote you'll get on this podcast and possibly the last. <laughs> Brilliant. I don't think we've ever had a religious element to this podcast. So, Martin, you've written a huge portfolio of Spurs books. One, actually, I'm sitting in my son's bedroom doing this and I can actually uh, see the Spurs miscellany book which you wrote, which must have been great. What would you say has been your favourite Spurs book you've written? I think the, the, the favourite to write was a book called The Boys from White Hart Lane, which I wrote with a guy called uh, Adam Powley, who I think a couple of you know as well, who's an author and journalist and lecturer. And the team that me and him grew up watching, uh, we were from different sides of Harringay when we were kids and didn't meet until later on, but the team we grew up watching was that fantastic Keith Birkinshaw team oh, uh, of, of Hoddle and Perryman and Crooks and Archibald and our dealers. Yeah. And you know, my first game was in 1978. I was lucky enough to be at the 81 Cup final and at the replay as well. And we thought for years, we'd written a couple of other books, and we'd thought for years that we wanted to write about that team and to speak to those players because I think everybody has a... That the team that you started watching, I think, when you were a kid is always the one that you've got that real affinity with. And that's certainly the reason that I massively got into football and, and had, that, had the love of Spurs. And so we pitched an idea to the publisher that we'd done the miscellany with, and they said, yeah, that sounds great. We then got in touch with Steve Perryman, who was my hero when I was a kid. And he said, yeah, you know, I, I don't mind helping you guys out. And that was the key to it, because they, all of that team still see him as the skipper. So we'd phone people up and they'd go like, you know, who are you then? And we'd say, well, Steve said it was all right. So I said, no problem. You know, if Steve says it's all right, then you must be good guys. 
And so we did the book, which it kind of told the story of, of that team, really. We spoke to them about the games. We spoke to them about what they'd done since as well. And there was some, some absolutely fascinating stuff in there. I mean, you know, I, I went up to Ozzy Ardiles' house in Hertfordshire. Wow. And I was in his front room and I interviewed him. I interviewed Ricky Villa. And while I was there, I was just thinking, am I actually really here? I was thinking, <laughs> yeah. as well. Like Ricky Villa was just the nicest, nicest man that you could wish to meet. And when he said, like, he's just amazed, he said he's really touched that people still remember that goal that you scored. He said, I don't, why don't they just remember this one goal? And it's like, why wouldn't they, Ricky, you know? Yeah. You know, we met our boyhood heroes. There's a few people we couldn't speak to. I think Garth Crooks was thinking about running for the mayor of London at the time, so he wasn't really doing anything else. Chris Hewton was managing Newcastle, so he didn't really want to get into conversations that might impact on what he was doing at the time. Glenn Hoddle, you know, in his view, been stitched up by the press. It was just after the, you know, Steiner's England manager, so he, he wasn't going anywhere near anybody who was vaguely connected with journalism at all at the time. We couldn't get hold of Steve Archibald, so there were some key players that we couldn't get hold of. But, you know, we got hold of a lot of them. And, you know, talking to people like Tony Parks was, was fantastic. Uh, and also getting some of the kind of people who were seen as the lesser light that played a part, like Gary Brook as well. Just really, really interesting. So that was fantastic to do that book, and we got really good reception for it as well. So Because I think people have got an affinity with that team. And what, sorry, can I, you, I just ask you, Martin, like obviously, you know, that, that was a great, you know, I'm sort of roughly the same age as you, and that was a great team for me. But what, yeah, there's a sort of thing about if you meet your heroes, suddenly you're disappointed. Did you ever feel a little bit disappointed when you met any of them? Not with the players I interviewed, and I mean, I still, you know, I'd be overcooking it to say that Steve's like a close friend, but we keep in touch. He is just such a nice man. He's not a mug. Uh, he wants to see things done right. He's got a real passion for the game. And I mean, if you read the, the, the book that he's just put out, his life story, which he wrote with Adam Powley, and again, that's something that we've been talking to him for a while, and Adam happened to be in a position where he could really do that. And he spent a lot of time with Steve writing that book. He tells the story of, uh, he was in Steve's front room in Exeter when uh, we played Man City in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. And when we won that, he said Steve was just jumping off the sofa, punching the air. And his missus was like, Steve, calm down, you've had a heart attack, you know. Uh, <laughs> he still absolutely loves it. So meeting Steve was just fantastic. You know, we had dinner with him during the time we were writing the book and setting stuff up and we've kept in touch and... That was fantastic. And, you know, I had the same worry, you know, if you meet people that you, you idolised, you know, are they going to live up to it? But, I mean, just, Steve's just a, he's a lovely human being and he's a proper Spurs man as well. So, oh, that's, that's really nice to hear. Simon, you got anything, uh, questions you want to throw in? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, continue, Peter. So I just wanted Martin, sorry to interrupt you. Guys. What was your first game then, Martin? Do you remember the first? Yeah. The first live game was uh, Tottenby Bolton Wanderers in the old second division. 52,000 crowd at White Hart Lane. We won 1 0, Don McAllister diving header. Wow. wow. What an attendance to get in the second division, eh? Mm. Yeah, yeah. We were playing for the top spot in the second division. I can remember going in the old schoolboys enclosure in the West Stand, paying my 50 pence. Got up there early because we knew it would be a big crowd. And I was a mate, you know, it's the first time I'd really seen the crowd. I was 14 years old. And I think the shelf was singing, We Are the Champions. All their scarves sailed above their heads. Amazing, amazing game, really. So, but the first game I remember of Spurs, really, I used to listen to Sport on Two, the old Radio Two commentary, and I can remember listening to the 1974 UEFA Cup final. I was really young at the time, so I was in tears at the end of it, but I can remember hearing Bill Nicholson at half time coming on the tunnel and going, Stop the violence, please stop the violence. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible night as well. But, you know, there was, a, there was a magic because my family used to read the, the Daily Mirror. 
at the time. And we used to get all the reports of those European games at the time. So, and that was like, you know, because there wasn't the telly and the internet or whatever then. It was like a different world, you know, that my team was playing in all these exotic locations. And that, I think that was part of the attraction as well. So, got fond memories of that time. It's Martin, you remember, you mentioned Stevie Perriman. My first game at the Lane was in 1970-71 season. And, and that was the point where Steve Perriman was just breaking into the team. And he had like the skinhead haircut. And yeah. Adam Mullery used to sort of pat him on the head. It was that era. It's got, well, because there's a great story, Links. He yeah. talked to some of the fans who were there. And I think that the whole thing with Perryman is that, because he had a suede head, didn't he? And that was, yeah. that was one of, one of the, the haircuts at the time. Yeah. And uh, people were just saying, like, he's one of us. And he just looked like, Steve looked like a lad that we all were, you know, somebody who stood on the terraces and watched the team. And then you get a chance to play for the team you support. And I think that was that instant connection. But he was honest, wasn't he? I think yeah. people always knew. Yeah, that he, he was. Completely give everything on the pitch and never bullshit anyone. As we've spoken about already, you've authored countless Spurs books, and which have featured the interviews with so many club legends. You've, you've talked about Steve Perriman, talked about uh, our dealers, Cliff Jones, I think you've interviewed for, for one of your books as well. But you've also offered some very some other very special ones as well, like We Are Tottenham, Voices from White Hart Lane. You know, this is always a football club that does generally try to emphasise the importance of its fans. Like, for example, Bill Nicholson saying, we must always consider our supporters, for without them, there would be no professional football. So Martin, what differences have you found between interviewing, say, a Cliff Jones or a Perriman, our dealers? who are ex-players and fans of the club, and, say, a season ticket holder of 40-plus years? Uh, I don't think there is a huge amount of difference in a way. I mean, I think that the players understand that, you know, if that they could have ended up playing for someone else and the reaction of the fans could have been very different. And I think the players always knew that, you know, there's an element of loyalty and there's an element of them being professionals, if you like, and they can move from place to place. But those players that you've mentioned... When they arrived at Spurs, they a lot of them say they felt like they were coming home. They got to somewhere that shared their values. And Perryman certainly said that. I mean, he idolised Bill Nicholson. And he said that, you know, they were, they were, he was one of the top schoolboys at the time. And everybody was after him. QPR were after him. Arsenal were after him. Chelsea. And he said, when I went to Tottenham, it just felt like family. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, all fans think that their club is special. But I think that we, we've had that in terms of the way we like to see football play. And there, there's that kind of solidarity that's there. I think that's been severely tested lately and you know maybe we don't want to get onto that too much at the moment and I think again we touch on a bit of that the book that I wrote uh, The People's History of Tottenham Hotspur which me and a guy called Alan Fisher who's Spurs blogger on Twitter who, who writes Tottenham on My Mind blog which is just one of the best I just think Alan writes so beautifully and we, we struck up a friendship through me reading his blog and I'd said that you know I've had this idea of writing people have written the history of football clubs before but they've not written the history of football fan support and football clubs as a kind of community entity. It's always been quite rightly about the results on the pitch and the players. And we wanted to write a little bit about what Spurs had symbolised. And again, I think that every club's fans could do that because the story is equally different and equally interesting as well. And if you look at Spurs in the early years of the 19th century were symbolic of the rising suburbs and the the rising challenge of the South to the old dominance of the Northern Industrial Clubs. You know, we just wanted to cover a lot of that stuff. And we we tried to speak to as many supporters as we could. Mm. And it's probably the most difficult book that I've been involved in writing because our people's history is different to your people's history. It's different to some other people that are listening to this. Their own experience is different. And actually that book could be written countless times with people's own experience and their own their own idea of what Tottenham Hotspur Football Club is. Yeah. But I think you know, it's back to that quote about it being the most important of the unimportant things that 
we all think it's a bit ridiculous from time to time when we when we step back and put it in context. But it means so much more than just a game where some people are trying to get a ball into a net. There is so much around it, and you know, I mean, look, I could whip on for hours about that, so I'm not going to. But, um, <laughs> We really like doing that, and that's probably the book that I'm the most proud of because it was difficult and we managed to get something out there. And I think when people saw what we were trying to do, that was really nice to get that feedback, really. Yeah, how, how did you go about like finding the fans to speak to you, and did, did you just go over like season ticket lists? Um, a lot of it was just, like, I've, I've been going regularly for 20, 25 years, and the, the, the first book that we did, the, the We Are Tottenham Voices from White Hart Lane, that me and Adam did, I was a journalist, but I didn't want to be a sports journalist, because sport was what I did on my day off, so it would have been like a busman's holiday, really, if I'd have been a sports journalist. I never really had the interest, but in the end, you end up writing a book what you know. And I, the, the idea that I got originally, you know, I know that I can write, you know, other people can do useful things, you know, like big doctors, I, I can write, so you do what you can do. And I've been going to games for years with a guy called Bruce Lee, and there's lots of obvious jokes that come out of that as well. <laughs> Bruce Lee, really, really good friend of mine, and he's a fantastic raconteur. So we used to go to games, and we'd sit in the pub, and Bruce would tell his stories. And I just thought, you know, it'd be quite good to put some of these in a book one day. And so I interviewed Bruce, and it was cracking. And then... Just from that, we started talking to other people that we knew. I used to go on the, the Top Spurs forum quite a lot that Jim Duggan used to run, which is one of the first kind of Spurs fan websites. And so from a few people I knew from there, we interviewed some people there. We interviewed Jim himself. And we just put together, you know, we interviewed Norman Jay as well. On oh, yeah. Really? They were doing personalities and just kind of doing like ordinary fans. But Norman's a proper Tottenham fan as well. Oh, yeah. And he had a really interesting perspective. And so, yeah, we just did that book, and I think we had to weave it in with the story of a season, which happened to be the season that Hoddle ended up getting the sack and mm. another one of those things that didn't go the way that we wanted to at the start. But we just wanted to get the fans' voices out there as well. And again, it was a book that could be written by fans of any clubs. And I think my, my favourite story, which really sparked it, was that Bruce always told it that it was, I think it was in the late 70s, his brother used to go on Keith Robbins' coaches to the games. And he said they were on a coach, him and his brother were on a coach, went up past South Mim's service station. Um, and in those days, there was just a bloke who had like a wallpaper paste table uh, with a load of sweets that he'd sell on there. So he said, the coach stops, everybody piles off. They rushed the stall, nicked all the stuff, got back on the coach. And he said, there's all these like big airy ass blokes and everything, kind of eating bags of crisps and swigging bottles of our white's lemonade. And then suddenly they hear a police car behind them. He's like getting them to pull over. So the cry on the coach goes up, eat the evidence, eat the evidence. <laughs> 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 Brilliant. And, uh, and, and taken into Tottenham Nick and his, uh, his mum gave him a clip round the ear for getting involved in it all so um, nice. but, you know and it's stuff like that so you know and then there's more serious stories in there but when we say we love football a lot of the time what we say is that we love the game but we also love the meeting your mates and the trips and what goes around it as well. Totally agree. Yeah. And that, that, that's why I'm so interested about like how you were able to select who you spoke to. And obviously, every football fan will have a story. And as a as maybe a sub editor, you might have an element of perfectionism inside you, and maybe even like I don't know, like worried that you're missing out on on not talking to one certain person who might just have this most unbelievable story that mm. that might yeah, never yeah. be told. There's just so much out there. Yeah, that, I think that's why the TV can't replace people going to the actual games because it's, it's all the experiences around going to a game, I guess. I think yeah. what the voice tries to do is say that this isn't the definitive list. And I mean, you're right, you go, you know, have I missed something? But Voices from White Hart Lane, we, we, we said that, you know, they were some fans, right? And people will always go, oh, you know, you think you're really important because you've written a book or you think these people are more important than other people. We've never said that. That's just the people we spoke to. 
And, you know, a people's history of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club is called a people's history and not the people's history because you, no one person can write a definitive history of the football club support or what it means. It means so many different things. Part of what we try to do is say to people that we did this, you can do that as well. So whether it's, you know, you guys doing a podcast, I stick very much with that philosophy because I, I kind of, my age, I come through the fanzine movement, really. And I, what a lot of that was about, was Spurs were lucky that we had the Spurs, which was one of the best of the original. That fans. was brilliant, wasn't it? Absolutely brilliant. And, you know, I still know some of the people that worked on that. And there were people who are still friends of mine. I've met people through that that I still keep in touch with as well. But what at that stage, you know, there wasn't any... The fans didn't really have a voice, and the, the the mainstream kind of football media was very, very, you know, in a particular channel, and that was it. And I think a lot of us said, well, you know, we've got a voice as well, and we've got a right to add to the coverage, to add to the debate out there. And, you know, I still stick with that as well. It's just that people, you know, communications opened up a lot more. There's been the growth of the internet, and people can publish themselves rather than needing to know somebody with a printing press and all that sort of stuff. But, um, that you know, people can put their own voices forward, and I think it's important that people do that. Uh, and, you know, that's in every walk of life as well, but certainly in football. Certainly my experience and my involvement in, in football over the years has kind of been based on that, that the fans' perspective is important as well. Although I have to say that I think that in, in the past few years, it's almost that you can see a turn in some respect because, you know, I absolutely, as you may gather, value the fan contribution and the fan voice. But in the end, we're there to watch the game, aren't we? Uh, and it's yeah. just important to get things in the right order. And I think sometimes there's been some elements of the kind of fan community, if you like, or fan media that have almost thought, you know, that's the stuff that's most important. You know, nobody goes just to watch the crowd. And I probably spend too much of my time watching the crowd as well as the game. But in the end, it's the game that's the key thing. And it's the, it's the players that are important. But, you know, that's something that's going to be up for grabs a little bit, isn't it, when we come out the other side of this, this current situation? Yeah. yeah, totally agree. And also, just for any listeners, I mean, all of these books are still available. They're all available on Amazon and, and actually on your website, Martin. There's a, a few ebooks as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. If people want to have a look and do that, I mean, look, people have got other things to spend their money on at the moment. But if people want to have a look and they they want to have a read, then they're still they're still available. If they want to they want to fill some time up, then yeah. Thanks for coming on. Just about the books that you've edited involving other clubs as well. So, like notably the the Man United one entitled Glory Glory Man United in the 90s which you worked on with Andy Mitten is, is that correct? Yeah I, I did the, the publishers of The Boys from White Hart Lane and most of the other books that me and Adam Powley have written uh, a <coughs> company called Vision Sports Publishing who are kind of specialist sports publishers run by a couple of real dedicated AFC Wimbledon fans and I was freelancing at the time and they asked me to do some work for them over the summer just editing their catalogue of books that was coming out so I got to work on the Happy Birthday Dear Celtic was one of the books that they did uh, Glory Glory Man United and also, as you spoke to, to me about this, uh, I, I worked on uh, did some editing on the book called Arsenal, The Making of a Modern <laughs> Super Club with Alex Finn, who I, I wrote the last book, One Step from Glory, with as well. And Alex is somebody that I've known for a long time, guy that used to work for, as a marketing man, who worked for Sarch East and advised DFA on what eventually became the Premier League. So that was a challenge, editing that book, because <laughs> I, I wanted to change a few things, you know. So that was good. And I think we, I, I did a book as well called Britain and the Olympic Games with a guy called Matt Rogan, who is getting involved in the world of sports marketing and he, he runs an agency called Two Circles now, which people want to look up. They do some quite interesting stuff. And he, you know, he was interested in the history of the Olympics. And I think we put that out because London was the first city to host two Olympic Games. We did 48 and then we did the 2012 Olympics. And it was something that he put together with his dad and he wanted an editor to work with him. So it was nice to get out of football and look at kind of wider sporting questions as well. And Matt's a really interesting guy as well. So 
it was great working. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, obviously, as Spurs fans, like myself, Peter, Ian, we're all familiar with your work, the work of people like Julie Welch, Adam Powley, who you've spoken about already, Carlo Hewitt, Rob White. Would you say that as a club, our pool of writing talent is unique or are other clubs just as blessed in, in kind of like the literature game almost? Because Andy Mitten is, is a very renowned, he's, he's worked at the Independent, he's a very renowned media figure. Would you say that Spurs have a good array of literature people? I think we absolutely smash it, mate. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we're better than everywhere. So I think, I think there has been. There's a lot of media people that that are, are you know, high-profile media people that are Spurs fans. That you know, I guess I know more of them because I am a Spurs fan. So that that's where the connection is. Uh, you know, there are people. You know, I mean, you know, Manchester United, Liverpool have both got quite a number of fairly high-profile writers and media people that, that people know are, are fans as well. But I think we have been quite lucky over the years, yeah, with the, with the people that are, um, you know, that are supporters and the profile that we've got in the media. But it's funny, isn't it? Because then most of us think that we get a rough time in the media as well. So, uh, you know, how, how does that work? Yeah. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed. And please tune in tomorrow as Ian, Martin, Peter and I go over the 2010-11 Champions League debut season.